the risk element was quite high that it would fail, but I basically went on his show the day before he was going to fly to Lapland and I pretty much cured him of his fear of flying with this wow. fast phobia cure. And the next day he flew to Lapland and he said, guys, this is amazing. Tony's got rid of my fear of flying, after which loads of people came to me about flying. Hello, this is Dr. Deva Nagula. Welcome to From Doctor to Patient, where our goal is to bring you topics of discussion that will educate you on the various healing modalities to help balance the mind, body, and spirit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From Doctor to Patient. Today, I have Tony Wrighton as my guest. Tony Wrighton is a Sky Sports presenter, NLP trainer, and master practitioner. He has written three books published by Virgin Books, which has been translated into 12 languages, while his NLP audiobooks have sold over 100,000 copies and have been top 10 bestsellers on iTunes in many countries around the world. He is the host of the top-rated podcast, Zestology, where he chats with guests about ways to inspire listeners to find more energy, vitality, and motivation. Tony, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Now, you're uh, with us today from England? Yeah, London. London, London. Yeah, you guys are still in lockdown, as as are some parts of the States. Uh, I live in in the D.C. area, so we're slowly opening back up. Yeah, it's just such an odd time, isn't it? And uh, it's a challenge like no other in so many different ways, isn't it? Uh, it really is. It really is. Um, it, it's just, it's changed our lifestyle. And I mean, everything has been changed for us in terms of how we do things, but we do more of these podcasts and other conferences on Zoom. So some of the stuff hasn't really changed, but some of the things have accelerated more for us uh, in the way we do business and the way we do you know, other work. Good, good. Well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, it is a, um, there certainly are opportunities, aren't there? My partner's a yoga teacher and oh, yeah. there's way more people coming to her class than she ever did. Now she does it on Zoom, which is brilliant. You know, and I, yeah. think a lot, I think, I mean, a lot of industries have changed forever. I mean, I can't see myself uh, renewing my gym membership, for example, because I work out every day at home now and it's fine. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. just less, that's more money that you can save and more money that's in your pocket at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that's awesome. So Tony, I really want to, I'm really excited to get into the topic of uh, NLP or otherwise known as neuro-linguistic programming. And can you kind of give us a little deep dive as to what that really is and what it entails? Neuro-linguistic programming is a very long and wordy name for a set of skills that basically describe the study of how people do things well. That is possibly a better way of describing it. I always think if it was invented now or if it was created now, people might call it neurohacking because really it looks at how we can use linguistics to communicate better with other people and ourselves, how we can inverted commas, program our habits and language to be more effective with ourselves and other people. It was invented in the 70s when, uh, when, when computers were getting big, a computer type name, which is why they called it neuro-linguistic programming. But you can think of it really as the study of how people do things well. Can you give us like an everyday example of how it could be effective in a person's life? Yeah, I mean, 
tell you about why I first learned it. I, I used to be a radio presenter and I, I, I was interested in it for my own life. Um, but I was also interested in terms of my my professional life. You know, could I be a more persuasive communicator? Um, and right at the start, when I just started learning these techniques, I thought, I've got the perfect place to practice these. I can use them on my radio show every day. And I started using them with the, with the idea of being a, a better presenter, asking people to listen longer and to feel better about listening. Uh, and I use these techniques every day and done my best. And after a couple of months, there was one day when I layered the techniques on pretty thick and the boss called me into his office and he put his feet up and his hands behind his head. And I thought, I'm in real trouble here. And he said, I don't know what you've done, but your listening figures have gone through the roof. Um, and that was the point I thought, do you know what? There's something in this NLP malarkey. Um, I was essentially using persuasive language and descriptive language to get people to listen for longer, to attract new listeners, and to get people to feel better about listening. That's awesome. So it wasn't anything that you could attribute to marketing strategies, everything, all the other variables were pretty much the same. The only thing that you really implemented were specific programming that you employed during your, your, uh, your casts. Well, I mean, it wasn't a double blind controlled study. That's <laughs> so it might well be marketing strategies, but I mean, you know, I was on the drive time show at, at the time and most radio stations, the breakfast show has the biggest amount of listeners. Mm -hmm. and, and I went above the breakfast show. Um, and I stayed there for about three years. The breakfast show presenter was not very happy about this situation, <laughs> but it was just the way it was. Um, between NLP and marketing. And I mean, I'm reading this book by James Clear at the moment about habits. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's called I have. Habits. Very, very good book. Really interesting. And there's a lot of overlap between that persuasion skills, NLP, um, how you persuade yourself and other people to do things. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there's plenty of overlap with marketing in general. And so it's a basic reprogramming of a body and mind, so to speak. That's what the, the general theme about neuro-linguistic programming is. I mean, do you sit with the person through an interview process or one-on-one? -on -one, and do you put them through like a hypnotic state? Or how does that actually work when you sit with a client? Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting. I, I have to say, I don't work with any individual clients now. When I first, I st first started learning NLP, back in 2004 or five. Um, and I would, I've, I've been a radio presenter and then a TV presenter since 2006 here in the UK. So I don't have a massive amount of spare time doing the podcast as well. But I always work with individual clients because I wanted to kind of practice the techniques. Um, and I did that for kind of five or 10 years or so. And I don't do that anymore. I don't have time. And, and I'm not interested in being a therapist as such. Right. Um, not least because I think there are other people who do it better than me. And also I don't, I think for real deep therapy, I'm not, I'm not sure that the skills of NLP work so well, but you definitely can spend one-on-one -on -one time with someone, you know, there's, there's a cure that um, is called the fast phobia cure. And I, and I went on one of the top, um, I was friends with one of the DJs on the top radio stations in this country. And I went and he had to go to um, Lapland to record a Christmas radio show. He was terrified of flying. The risk element was quite high that it would fail. But I basically went on his show the day before he was going to fly to Lapland. And I 
pretty much cured him of his fear of flying with this wow. fast phobia cure. And the next day he flew to Lapland and he said, guys, this is amazing. Tony's got rid of my fear of flying. After which loads of people came to me about flying. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I still think it was quite a bold move to actually do that. But yeah, so you can definitely use the techniques one-on-one like that. Yeah. But for other people, for the masses, is it through a specific session or is it through just specific utilization of language that enables the reprogramming to occur? What's, what's the mechanism of the reprogramming? It depends on the context. You can use it in an everyday language context. So, um, for instance, uh, when I was, uh, when my radio station listening went up, you know, some of the really s- simple stuff I was doing was I was focusing on my language. I was trying to make it more descriptive. So if I was giving away a holiday, I wouldn't say this is a fantastic holiday. I would try and allow my listeners to connect with the visual auditory and uh, I see. You know, touchy-feely sensory experience of the holiday. I'd say imagine the warmth of the sun on your skin, you know, the, the tweeting of the birds in the trees and the you know, the, the, the deep blue of the sea, trying to get people to connect with the visual auditory and um, kinesthetic experience of going on that holiday. And that would instantly make your storytelling, whoever you are, much better, more persuasive. Um, and then, you know, using a variety of language techniques to, um, to allow people to connect with what you want them to do. I mean, for instance, if you've got a seven-year-old and you want to get them to tidy their room, you might say, will you go and tidy your room? To which there's really two answers, yes or no. Mm-hmm. You could also give them an either or question to which no isn't really a possibility. You could say, uh, darling, would you like to tidy your room before or after dinner? <laughs> to which no isn't really a kind of linguistically correct answer. They might say no anyway, in which case you'd have to think again. But you know, there's often ways that you can be more persuasive like that as well. Um, in the case of the fast phobia cure, what often happens with people with phobias is there's one instance in their past, often quite early on when a phobia starts, especially with something like spiders, and it's very vivid in the mind. And when they think about it, the picture is massive and right in front of their face. And what we would do is we would change, in NLP terms, the modalities of that memory. So you would shrink the picture, you'd put it uh, way over in the distance you'd make it black and white you might kind of ask your client to uh, imagine a, a volume knob and turn the, the sound right down on that so it's a very small picture with, with with weak sound you can hardly hear and you might make it a very grainy picture like a 70s telly and all these kind of things help with fear of the phobia and once you deal with that original instance often the same fear isn't quite there and that's interesting. So you're basically reprogramming their relationship with the object that they have a fear of. In this case, it's the spider. I've heard that NLP is very strong and it's very useful for people who are in the sports in, in arena. So is that a way that you to remove a block like in performance, like I'm a golfer. And so a lot of times golf is a very mental sport. I mean, a lot of these professionals, they have the same skills, but what differentiates one from the other, it's because they're mental game. So I'm assuming some of these pro guys, they probably have some type of um, neuro-linguistic programming that they employ with each stroke that they, uh, that they hit when, they, when they're playing the game. 
And I'm wondering if it's some sort of NLP programming or if it's, if, if that's the benefit of NLP. It, it would certainly be. And I can absolutely guarantee you that a lot of these golfers are using a lot of these NLP techniques, although, and I've worked with golfers as well. And I know that, you know, some of my good friends are sports psychologists, but a lot of them don't just use NLP. So they, they might have trained in NLP, but they use other stuff as well. They'll, they'll, they'll cherry pick whatever works kind of thing. Um, so you're, you're a pretty passionate golfer. What, what, what's your handicap? So I fluctuate between, depending on time of the year, between a 12 and a 15. Okay. So, so pretty, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I, I, I love golf as well. I've yeah. Golf shows here in the UK too. Um, and um, I mean, there's one, there's one technique that you might want to try or, or, or do a version of. Please, I'll take any help I can get. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It helped um, Louis Eustazen win the US, the British Open. Uh-huh. I mean, you might have heard about this technique before, but um, when Louis Eustazen was uh, playing in the Open, that he absolutely stormed. I think it was at St. Andrews. Um, and it was his you know, first major triumph. He played absolutely brilliant. And um, on the way around, the media noticed that he had this red spot on his glove. Have you heard about this story? Uh, very, it's, it's, it's familiar, yes. Yeah, I mean, this is pure NLP. And this was my mate, Carl Morris, who's a sports psychologist who'd worked with him the week before the Open and essentially got him to anchor some of his best golfing experiences, his, his, his absolute golfing zone to this red spot. It's really easy to do as well you know you can you can start to associate with the times when you played particularly well you, you might pick your best ever round and see it in massive detail you know make, make the, the pictures big in front of your in front of your face and make the colors vivid and bright see see the green of the grass in glorious technicolor remember everything you could hear at the time make the sounds loud and crisp and remember the feelings as well how good it felt to be playing that well. Maybe some other feelings as well, like the temperature of the air on that particular day when you were playing well. And whilst you do this, you get your red spot and you draw it in your glove and you start to look at the spot at the moment when you're associating with those feelings the best. And it might be a red spot on your glove or, you know, it might be, I don't know, you could just write a word on your hand, um, on your non-glove hand. Um, Whatever it is, it, it just needs to be some kind of anchor that brings you back to those feelings of playing particularly well you know often as sportsmen uh, amateur sportsmen and women and I, I know this very well is very easy to associate with the bad stuff especially if you're not playing very well right the moment you start hitting a slice you remember all those other times when you hit absolutely slice. and what um, my friend carl did with louis eustazen so well is he got him to associate with when he played at his absolute best. That is pure NLP. And so he was able to, even if he hit a errant shot, he would shrug it off and he would refocus his attention on the red dot on his glove. And that would essentially reframe his thoughts because it would associate pleasant memories that he's had of playing a good game, a good round of golf. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it sounds a little implausible, doesn't it? But this yeah. is the, the weird and wonderful power of anchors. You know, that was a visual anchor that was set up in the week before the tournament. Um, and it was a week before Pavlov's dogs oh, oh, in the week before the tournament. Wow. Yeah. 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 But, um, 
I mean, you've heard of the story of Pavlov's dogs. This is the of course. basis of anchoring. You know, Pavlov had a load of dogs. Every time he fed them, he would ring a little bell. And after a while, he could ring the bell and they would salivate, even though there was no food. Food That is anchoring. And, um, and there was a version of that going on with Louis Eustazen. I have to tell you, I don't, uh, if you put a red spot on your glove, it may well work, but it won't work forever. And that's because we get very used to visual anchors. We get used to the anchors that we've set up and then we start to ignore them. So you would need to change the anchor. You need to get a different glove and put a purple spot on there and do, do the process again. Um, I've worked with people sometimes where they, they want to kind of associate with a, a certain positive emotional feeling and you might get them to put like a blue sticker for, for calming on their on their bathroom mirror in the morning it works very well for about 48 hours but then they either need to change the color of the sticker or the location of the sticker because it's not going to work anymore after that you need to keep these keep these anchors topped up so is that commonplace like if you start introducing nlp techniques such as anchoring is it commonplace where you have to switch it up around uh, because you'll just get a little bit too familiar with the specific anchor that you're using well, I mean, listen, um, probably like most people have some pictures up in your house of nice experiences, might be a picture of the family or something like that. And when you first looked at that picture, it would have massively made you think of that great holiday. But now you're probably quite used to it. And sometimes you'll walk past right, that that's picture true. Day and you won't even notice it. That's, yeah. that's the nature of anchors. Uh, that's a good analogy. Okay. Uh, so is anchoring a form of NLP if, or is that the foundation of NLP? It's, it's one of the many techniques in NLP and it's one of the kind of first techniques that people tend to learn when they start learning NLP. But that's because it's such a powerful one as well. Another one that I've been told, and I don't know if this is a specific NLP technique or if this is a sports psychology technique, but... Um, when you're playing a round of golf, you do a little bit of, obviously you have a routine, but what you incorporate into your routine is a visualization technique. So if you're trying to hit a ball 150 yards, but you want to hit it with a left to right flight path or, or a specific right to left path, you envision that path in your mind. So you vision, envision that ball's path after you hit it in your mind before you go up to hit the ball. Um, and I don't know if that's, if, is that NLP or is that just a, a different type of psych, sports psychology technique? Um, yeah, I mean, NLP is a pretty broad umbrella. Um, if, it, if you do it and it works for you, I will happily take all the credit and I want 50% of all your winnings <laughs> if you're playing against buddies that win money uh, when your handicap goes down. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it might be that, it might be something else. Certainly you would say if it was visualization, you mm -hmm. would try and within an NLP terms, you know, you try and make that, as I talked about, make the picture as vivid as possible and work out where the picture is. So if it's kind of, if it's too, obviously we're talking about imaginary pictures here, but if it's like, you know, two feet in front of you, put it right in front of your eyes and make it a bigger picture, make the colors brighter, try adding sounds and feelings and see how that, works for you as well because some people have a very finely tuned auditory sense mm -hmm. or a kind of sensory touchy-feely sense mm -hmm. and for them they might find that you know to tuning into how things feel on the course might be more appropriate mm, interesting okay how about processes of like motivation like if i have a uh problem getting 
myself to go to the gym on, on a regular basis. Or if I have a problem with, um, if I'm dieting and I really have an issue with getting myself motivated to start a new diet, um, how can I use NLP to change those habits? So we would say it's not necessarily goal setting, it's outcome setting. And I mean, I have to say, since I started training in NLP, I've seen this tidational technique employed in lots of different areas, not necessarily NLP. You know, writing a goal as if it's already happened, I've found that is massively successful for me. And in fact, you know, one of the things I did very successfully is I work at the TV channel now that I was my dream job. And I always used to watch it for about three hours a day before I joined. Um, and it seemed so far off that I would ever get a job there. But um, one day, about 18 months after I'd first mentioned it, my agent rang me and said, I've got your screen test um, at this channel, Sky Sports News. Um, and I did all sorts of different NLP techniques to try and kind of get myself in the zone to impress on this screen test. Uh, little did I know when I got there on the day that 60 other people had also been invited for a screen <laughs> test. I'm, I'm glad I didn't actually, because I put everything into it. I got a haircut, I bought a new suit and everything. Um, and one of the things was I wrote down the, not the goals, but the outcomes as if they'd already happened. And I dated them with the date by which I wanted to start the job. And it was August. And I think I wrote a date in December. Um, and anyway, as it turned out, I would like to humbly say that I was the only person who got a job that day. And I started in the same week that I wrote the date down in December um, on the new job. I had to serve out three months notice at the old job. It was amazing how it came true with that outcome yeah. of writing it down. I think you're subtly kind of programming. Um, there's, there's a bit of hypnosis in there, which, uh, which is definitely part of NLP. Um, going back to what my friend Carl I did with Louis Oosthuizen and what he does with sportsmen. He would say it's great to write down goals and outcomes, but you want to focus on the little victories as well. You know, it's all very well saying I'm going to win the open, write it on a piece of paper, but then when it doesn't, avoid about that. It's all the little things that you do each day that go towards winning. Right, that's awesome. Is that how you started your podcast series? Um with sports psychology or with having the visualizations that you were going to start a podcast show did you use nlp to do that or what was the genesis of your podcast show yeah yeah i mean actually that was a little bit different very ill with a virus um so kind of quite relevant to what we're all going through at the moment of course um, not only that it wasn't it wasn't just viruses that haven't been that modern medicine just hasn't really kind of diagnosed um and i went through loads of tests and they said look you've you've been to uh, a, a tropical area of the philippines you've caught some kind of virus we don't know what it is but we do know from your i think it was my red blood cell count um we do know from that that you've had a virus and therefore you know, I was suffering all sorts of post-viral symptoms. I had to go and see a neurologist five times. I spent about three months in bed. I wasn't going to work. And I honestly didn't know if I would ever have the energy again to do what I used to do. Um, and that's why I thought it'd be great to do a podcast about energy. Use a few of the NLP techniques that I've kind of learned over the years. And also the fact that I'm a presenter. So I felt like it would play into my skill set. And go on a bit of a personal journey, try out everything kind of weird and wonderful and, and find the things that give me more energy. So that's where that came about. There's definitely some NLP in there, but there's lots of other stuff as well.
That's really interesting. So you've kind of used it to recover from the viral ailments, so to speak. I mean, you just kind of visualize yourself having more energy when you were struck with the virus. Is that kind of how you, how you uh, were able to get through the viral? Not really. I mean, visualization is one of the many techniques. And I seem to remember at the time, actually, when I was very ill, I was using, you know, stuff like visualization and anchoring and it wasn't working because I was just so ill. It just didn't work, you know. Um, But one of the things that worked very well is, you know, we spoke at the start about working out how people do things well. And that applies to you as an individual as well. I'm a big fan of data. I'm a bit of a geek, actually. Um, You know, I work in these kind of creative industries, but I do love a spreadsheet as well. Um, and I started keeping data on what worked for me. So every day I would kind of track my energy levels. And then I would also kind of track the things that I did. Now, it wasn't particularly scientific. It wouldn't pass that double-blind controlled study Mm -hmm. uh, threshold. But then I started to see trends. I started to see when I took a certain supplement, I would feel better that day and the next day. I started to see when I went to bed at a certain time and I exercised especially meditation. Um, I found that yoga works very well. I uh, found that uh, particular foods affected me quite badly. And, um, and so I started tracking all these things. And that was certainly a, a kind of a study of how people do things well. There was one thing that when I didn't do it on a particular day, affected my energy levels. I think I was about, it was about 20% lower. And it was wow. schedule enough fun in my day. It was just, you know, scheduling playtime to do you know, go and throw a frisbee or you know hang out with some mates when i didn't do that my energy levels were 20 percent down it sounds so simple doesn't it but that's important so all that kind of thing was it was very personalized to me but that's you know that's a real life example of how you could apply and appeal into your own life you know writing mm. things down keeping a diary or maybe even like me getting involved in a good old-fashioned spreadsheet <laughs> right Hey, Dr. Diva here. Thank you to all my listeners who supported my book and helped to make it a huge success. You all have helped us hit number one in Barnes & Noble, number one in oncology, cancer, healing, and medical eBooks, and number 21 in all of the Kindle store. You've also helped us hit number three on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. If you haven't received your copy, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or booksatmillion.com. Visit from doctortopatient.com to become part of our growing community of health and wellness aficionados and to learn more. If you like our book and podcast, please go to amazon.com to write a five-star review and go to Apple Podcasts to also write a five-star review on this podcast or any of our episodes that you've enjoyed. We need reviews to attract and secure top-notch guests for this show. Thank you so much for your support. So I have a lot of uh, people that listen to the show that are really interested in optimization and biohacking. You know, are there, is there anything that you can share with us on the show to help people like this, to help f- feel more confident in their day or help them to feel more relaxed when they go through their, their daily rituals? Yeah, I mean, definitely. First, the first thing is in, in data terms, that tracking idea is utterly 
brilliant. Yeah. If you don't want to set up a spreadsheet, I mean, I've, I've actually done it with a kind of Google form that feeds into a spreadsheet. If you don't want to do that, there's an app called Dailyo, D-A-Y-L-I-O, that uh, will kind of collate all your data and um, put it alongside your moods. So it will say, oh, on the day that your mood was, uh, that you were feeling great, um, you meditate you and it will say you're ah. 0.3% more likely to feel good on the day that you, you know, ate Brussels sprouts or whatever it might be. Um, I noticed, are you wearing an Ura ring? Yes, I am. It's one of the, one of my addictions of the last two years. I can't wake up in the morning without looking at my, my, t- my, my phone's data that it's stored from the night before. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, you know, the, the biohacking world is one that absolutely fascinates me. I've interviewed Dave Asprey a few times on my show and was lucky enough to go and do 40 Years of Zen, which is yes. this kind of um, week-long training course based around sticking electrodes to your brain. Um, and I think the Aura Ring is also a wealth of interesting data. And, I, and, you know, actually you can combine that with your other tracking. I've, I've certainly noticed that when I eat meals early in the evening, my heart rate variability is a lot higher overnight. Which that, is, I mean, yes. Is and that then, something you've noticed as well? Oh, I, I, that's the first thing I noticed when I implemented um, a, a hack, so to speak. Um, if I eat three hours or less before I go to bed at night, then I know that it affects my heart rate variability and affects my, my deep sleep. The biggest thing for me it's, is that affects my deep sleep is if I drink like alcohol. If I have more than one drink of alcohol, my... HRV and my deep sleep is totally shot. And so it's, it's evident um, on my ring every time. It's very consistent. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, I'm the same. I have, it's shocking how little alcohol you need to have to massively affect your heart rate and your heart rate variability. Um, yep. Not that I've completely given it up, but it is pretty shocking. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> For the, um, one of the hacks that I absolutely love, and um, I, I'm pretty deep into the whole biohacking world. We're always trying out different stuff, new things. Sometimes I, it's 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 a blessing and it's a curse having this data that I uh, that's collected on my ring. Sometimes in the mornings, if I have a really good night of sleep, as recorded by my aura, and I have a good readiness score, I'm like thrilled. I can't wait to get through the day and get through a really good workout. So, but. On the flip side, if it's a really bad readiness score or if my HRV the night before was really poor, it almost like programs myself to think, oh, this is going to be a really hard and grueling day, right? So I guess in a way that's sort of an NLP programming. So I need to like look at it and reframe that whole process, whether the readiness score is good or bad. Yeah, that is not actually that helpful, is it? And I I mean, you know, one of the things that is... Most people have their phone in their bedroom with them. Um, And there's all sorts of reasons why people might do that. I have been one of those people for many years. And just recently, I've moved the phone out of my bedroom. (laughs) Um, And I've got a very simple, is it in here? No, it's not. It's, um, I've got a simple alarm clock with a red display. Um, And it's funny because if you don't check your Aura stats first thing in the morning, it kind of loses its power. And you also then tap into your instinctive feel for how well you slept. If you feel like you slept well, but your aura tells you you didn't, I I would still be inclined to trust that feeling a little bit too. You know what yep. I mean? Ultimately, the aura is not the most sophisticated. I interviewed um, Dr. Matthew Walker and you know he was saying, 
it's nothing like the accuracy of the kind of stuff he's got in his lab in Stanford or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's uh it's such an interesting world though i mean even little things like i found when i eat red meat in the evenings my heart rate variability is lower it's not to right. say i'm going to give up eating red meat but it tells me something about what that's doing to my body it's causing inflammation right so i mean that's that's yeah. the that's where it really goes back to is is these things that we're doing that reduces our hrv overnight is something that re- increases our inflammation and our body's processing of of foods Alcohol is an example. Red meat might be an example. I mean, it's, that's how I've learned to figure out what foods to eat and what foods to avoid. So it's been really interesting for me playing with this ring. But, you know, I recently told myself that I need to have my phone shut off at night and put it in airplane mode because I don't want it to be emitting all that EMF stuff. So um, I've been putting on an airplane mode and I turn off the connection to my Bluetooth for my ring to the, to the phone. And so it forces me not to actually look at it in the morning until I actually get out of my bed, start my day and get my cup of coffee. And then I look at it when I sync the two and I'm like, oh, no big deal now because I've, re- I've reprogrammed my, my routine. Brilliant. Yeah, that's great. And actually what you said about reacting to food, I think is so interesting. I mean, this goes back to the NLP thing. Um, you, you are using NLP to work out what works. When that's a good point. Ordering stats yeah. and uh, seeing you know, how food reacts with you. And I've, I've always had problems with a bad stomach. But this concept called histamine intolerance, which is a is pretty complicated situation. When I started looking into it, and followed a low histamine diet for three days, I felt so much better. Wow. When I followed it for a couple of weeks, my heart rate variability shot up and my heart rate shot down. So firstly, my feelings, I felt good. Instinctively, I felt good. And then I had the data to back it up. And now I've gone deep into that. I've even launched a separate website called histamineintolerance.net where people can take a test and written a few blogs on there just because it's changed my life finding this stuff out about histamine intolerance. It's been brilliant. You know, I've actually read about that and I need to look into it more because I know that there are some foods that people can have reactions to just simply because of the histamine release that's occurring when these foods are interacted in your system. What's a high histamine sensitive food? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned alcohol. The absolute yeah, that's, that's number one. Yeah. histamine is alcohol. I mean, and, and I used to really suffer with red wine and it's got worse over the years as well. And if anybody does you know, feel particularly bad after red wine and bit, or they get an extra bad hangover. Well, it's, it's a sign that you might want to look at the histamine intolerance situation, maybe. And the thing is, there's a great way to test for it. Testing for histamine intolerance is quite hard, but you can do a test simply by just following a low histamine diet for three days and, and see if mm-hmm. you feel a lot better. I, I feel unbelievable, especially That's the great interesting. thing about lockdown is we're eating most of our meals at home and we're not going out drinking. This is huge. Yeah, so my, my diet's a lot lower histamine. I feel great at the moment. Yeah, I think I have to look into that site, histamineintolerance.net, you said? Histamineintolerance.net. I'll send you a link afterwards. I mean, I'd, I'd love to know what you think. And um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, I, I've been writing loads of blogs about it, and I, I love it because it's made such a difference to my life. One of the really disappointing things is that yogurt, I love a bit of yogurt. And yogurt's out. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's the casein and then it's the dairy, right? So, yeah. Well, yeah, but even coconut yogurt, it's still fermented. Um, however, 
I have started, this is how sad I am. I've started making my own yogurt by using an instant pot, um, putting some coconut cream and, and milk in there and emptying probiotics that are histamine friendly in there and leaving it to kind of gently cook on a yogurt setting for 24 hours. It's fantastic. Tastes just like the stuff you'd get in the store. That's awesome. I got to try that one too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Well, Tony, how, how can people find more about NLP and more importantly, how can they find more about you? Yeah, thanks. Well, it's uh, tonywriting.com. All, all the stuff is there. I've written an article called What is NLP on there? Um, if anybody's interested in the histamine intolerance stuff, they can go to that other site, which is histamineintolerance.net. And uh, yeah, if anyone's got any questions, I'm, I'm very happy to answer it. I, I do like talking about this stuff. It's a bit of a passion project, really. I just decided to you know, start it on the side. I know it's not for everybody, but that's something that interests me. So I, I thought it would interest other people as well. And uh, yeah, it's, it's great to chat to you. Will you let me know how your golf gets on? <laughs> I will. I'm going to try some of those strategies that, that was taught to Usti and see if that works for me because I'm playing tomorrow morning and I, I'm going to do something different. Oh, great. Great. I'm excited for you. Just one more thing on the golf. It's a, it's a very simple technique, but um, it's very hard to access our emotions when we look down. We, we tend to think about thoughts and feelings when we look down. So when you hit a bad shot tomorrow and you're walking down the fairway, keep your eye line above the horizon. So you're only looking upwards. You'll find it very hard to access just how furious you are about that bad shot when you're looking upwards. Can I apply that to like regular daily stuff? I mean, if I'm looking down in general, is that going to trigger like poor emotions as opposed to looking upward? It, it tends to, you tend to look downwards when you're accessing emotions. It's a simple, interesting. And in, in NLP, yeah. we would say you, you look upwards when you're accessing visual cues, something that is remembered or something that is imagined. You look to the side, left and right, when you're thinking about sounds, remembered sounds or imagined sounds. And you look downwards when you uh, think about thoughts and feelings and when you're accessing your internal dialogue. So both of those things can get seriously ramped up when you're in a stressful situation. And you might find looking upwards for a few minutes will make you look very foolish. It <laughs> will stop you accessing those thoughts and feelings and really delving into them in quite the same way. Awesome. Thank you for the tip. I'll let you know how it goes when I, after my round of golf tomorrow. Yeah, well, when you shoot like 150, then blame me. <laughs> no, I won't blame you. That's, a, that's, a, that's something else. That's, not, that's definitely not me. It's not the clubs. It's something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. Well, thanks again, Tony, for being on the show and, and look forward to to checking out those, uh, those sites that you recommended. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Take care.